Thank you for listening to the Writers Guild of Alberta podcasts. The following episode was recorded in 2020 as part of the WGA's online reading series, sponsored by the Rosé Foundation. The audio quality may differ from recording to recording. We want to thank the authors and hosts for their permission to share these audio-only episodes with you, and thank the Rosé Foundation again for their generous support. Hi everybody, my name is Jason Norman and I am Programs and Events Coordinator at the Writers Guild of Alberta uh, here in Edmonton. And um, this is uh, part of our online reading series that uh, we're able to do uh, with a because of a generous grant, or uh, I guess it's called a grant, from the Rosé Foundation. And um, so today my guest is, oh, I should also say we had a little last minute switcheroos so uh i've jumped in and karen's been very patient with me um and my guest today is karen niganagwane and you are coming to us from oh i said <laughs> got the thumbs up and you are coming to us from manitoulin island in ontario is that correct yes that's right and i will let everybody know that now that i know for sure that we're streaming live on youtube um if you have questions for Karen uh, uh, later on towards the end of the of the 45 minutes or so, um, you can type them in the in the chat feature bar there on the in YouTube, and um, I'll try to peek back and forth there to make sure that uh, we can get some questions answered at the end. Um, and uh, to anybody that has you know is just peeking in for a little bit and can't watch the whole thing, um, this should be available on our YouTube channel. Uh, you know, basically pretty much after, after the live, uh, the live event is done. So I will now officially introduce Karen Pheasant Niganagwane is an Ashinabi author, educator, and a powwow dancer. She has crafted a narrative that shows the history of how powwow is used to celebrate indigenous culture in North America. Published in April, 2020 by Orca Book Publishers, Pow Wow, a celebration through song and dance, describes the history of colonization and indigenous resistance that culminated in the 19th century. It shares Karen's thoughts on protocols, regalia, song, dance, and even the food found at powwows from coast to coast, along with the important role all of this plays in indigenous culture and reconciliation. Although considered a book for children and youth, this book will hold interest, hold the interest of any reader interested in the themes of indigenous culture, reconciliation, history, and powwow dance, and its beautiful photos give readers front row seats at the powwow. Karen lives in Calgary for much of the year, but like I said, joins us tonight from the place that she grew up, Manitoulin Island. And what time is it there? It's like dark now? Oh, the sun is setting down. It's just after 9 p.m. And has it cooled down a little bit? Um, no, no. My room is... <laughs> My room is upstairs and it's sweltering, so I came into my trailer and put the air conditioning on really high, and so I'm sitting here in chilled weather, relieved. Otherwise, I would be sweating buckets right now. Well, we're glad you're doing that, and thank you for being honest, because, yeah, it's definitely not hot where we are right now. But, um, so thank you for joining me today. Like I said, thank you for being uh, patient. We've gotten our but had some technical stuff we did we dealt with uh, earlier in the day, but we are um, good to go right now. And and uh, you're here to read a little bit from your book and to uh, to tell us more about the book. So why don't we just start there? Tell us more about um, how this came about and and 
um, why you decided to write it or that you needed to be the, the, the one to write this kind of book? Well, first off, thank you, Jason, for being here and being with me here as we navigate this. And I want to give a chimigwech, a big hi, hi, thank you to Writers Guild of Alberta. I love Writers Guild. It helps all of us, um, the pros, the novices, all of us writers. And I think, um, I think my excitement part is I've always been enchanted with books since a child when my mother would take us to the library, to the public library, and I'd curl up on the floor and get lost in the text of a, of a good story, of a good book. And so I've always, I used to own a bookstore. Um, I love storytelling. And then uh, I did a dance piece many years ago with our theater company with the Bajmajig. And so many people said, Karen, you need to write that story. You need to write that story. And I, um, the self-doubt that I had within myself overwhelmed me that I didn't feel the confidence to, to write the story. And I acknowledged, but I, in my acknowledgments, I, I, <clears throat> I worked with the Inaquan Center with Jeanette Armstrong in, in Penticton, BC. And I work with Jeanette Armstrong and a few other um, writers, um, late Greg Younging. And so between them and Richard Van Camp, they spoke with Orca Publishing and said, basically, you want someone to write about Powell, you got to get Karen Pheasant. Um, partly because um, I love to, I had already had my own column in a couple of local newspapers and always talked about Powell Partly because of three main reasons why I wanted to, to do this, why I was excited. And one is to build bridges. Very important to build bridges, to create understanding beyond the beads and feathers. Um, people that sometimes people have seen a poem on TV, whether it was with Idle No More, seeing the dancers, or even with Black Lives Matter. You've seen the jingle dress dancers were in Minneapolis. So we see that, but we don't understand. So I, I wanted to create understanding beyond the beads and feathers and also for Debwen, for the truth, the truth to be known. What is the story behind our songs? What is the story behind our dances? It's more than just some redundant, repetitive choreography. There's significance, there's philosophical meaning. And then lastly was Inatimoen. Inatimoen in Nishnabe, in my uh, Ojibwe language, means our philosophy or our way of thinking. So a lot of thought, a lot of thinking goes into what you see, what you see on the, on the dance floor, what you hear from the drum. And so that's what the reasoning was for me to, to do this. And so I I had spent extensive time just reflecting and 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 speaking to a lot of my um, peers and and thinking about how how I would approach um, beyond saying because there there are a lot of power books out there and generally they speak about the beauty the color the splendor and I I wanted to to look at it deeper than the aesthetics than the romanticism and the stereotypical uh, imagery that exists. And 
what, how long was this process but, uh, from when you decided that you were going to write it to basically April 2020 when it, when it was released? You know, my first story that I'm going to share um, kind of touches on when, when did I know or when did I start? And I think besides the actual pen to paper, the actual keyboarding started decades ago. It started with my, my, my love, my passion with dance. And then the more that I traveled around the globe or around North America, and I met um, people, talked to people, whether they were indigenous or non-indigenous, I realized the amount of uh, lack of understanding. And most times, especially at a powwow, I go there, I just want to dance. I don't want to be talking to people explaining how that song enters my soul, how that song is released from the drum, the differences. I go there purely to dance. And when I was asked to write this, I thought, well, now's my time to talk about it. And I wanted to say that my understanding, my practices are my own. Um, you can ask, you can line up 10 dancers on each side of me and ask what is powwow and you will almost for sure get a different significance on why they dance. A lot of my friends, they have different reasons for why they dance. Bottom line, uh, our, our, our expressions are our spiritual gifts and we go with that. Well, it sounds like we've we've set you up to uh, for your for your first reading. So why don't I just let you to it, and I will uh, just step aside while you you read the first. And where did, what what section is this book from? Um, I think I went right from the introduction. I, I went to page two, so I'm going to read from page two, partway into the yeah. Okay, all right. TV Indians did not look or talk anything like my relatives on the reserve. My grandma did not know how to speak English. My cousins only spoke in Anishinaabewin most of the time, not English. The Hollywood version of Indians also caused a lot of teasing and bullying by other kids in our city neighborhood. Life as the lone Indian family in the neighborhood was painful. The good thing about television was that it gave me a window into dance. When I watched Hollywood dance musicals, I could leave my troubled reality and escape to another place. The most famous dancing couple at the time was Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. They would float across the floor. Their graceful, their fluid movement, float help was holding me in awe and taking me to a magical place. In the privacy of my bedroom, I would imitate their dance and try to find that enchanted space for myself. Then I would swoop, I would swirl and twirl up and down the little narrow high, high hallway. No matter how engaging their dips and swirls were through, their dance was worlds apart from what I knew. As, school, as soon as school was finished in June, we would start to get ready for the day long drive north. The excitement of being home with my grandparents and other relatives would keep me awake the night before we left. There was also my grandma's soup and homemade pies to look forward to 
and then there was the powwow. Hearing the drums and the power of the songs at the powwow and being with so many other First Nations people was incredibly exciting. I urged my mom and my auntie, make me a powwow dress so I could dance too. It was as if once we put on our Indian dance clothes, a power took over us on the dance floor. The closer I moved to dancing spirit, the lighter my feet would become. When I was little, I would get lost among the dancers, hiding from the tourists who were watching. But as I began to feel the dance spirit, I would forget about the tourists. Those joyful dance moments were breathtaking. They were also an escape from the harsh realities of being Indigenous in the city where we lived. It wasn't dance as I experienced it, watching Fred and Ginger from afar on the television screen. It was a time of celebration and acceptance of identity, if only for a moment. Even after everything they had been through at Indian Residential School, my mom and dad instilled in us pride in being Indigenous and being Nishnabe. It wasn't easy living off the reserve though. Being around dance always made me feel beautiful. Are we on? We are on. I'm so sorry. I uh, when you started that reading, I uh, there was a thunderbolt in my neighborhood, and uh, it might have knocked everything upside down here in my house. But um, I believe we're still good. If you can hear me, I can hear you. Um. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, but I'm going to look in the chat. It looks like we're still good. Um, okay. So you talked to you, you talked about um, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and um, you were talking about the, the influence that dancing had uh, when you were a kid. And I was just thinking about when, when you decided to write this book, in, in a lot of ways aimed at youth or children was that was that because of that what you just read there that because of how you were influenced at a young age or is it more about what you were talking about earlier about the the understanding and the learning um it's a combination of both um so if if you listen to me and even when you introduce me I make reference to being home here on Manitoulin, but yet when you listen to me read my story, the reality is due to my parents' um, horrendous experience in residential school, as most First Nations people, they had made a promise that their children would never go through what they went through, the horrendousness, and that their children would speak English. So um, they raised me off reserve in a city 
going to public school. So even in Alberta, uh, most people of my generation all attended residential school. Anytime I'm with my peers at a powwow, most of them I do know they attended residential school because um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the last residential school closed in 1996 in, under Prairie Provinces, whereas here in Ontario, they closed a lot earlier. But then my parents made a choice um, to have me schooled at a public school and be in a city. So, so that combined is what my reasons for, and I'm going to go into, um, while I was living in Edmonton, I was teaching power dance at the Friendship Center, at the Indian Center. And I've taught power dance, you know, for years, for years and years, generally in a co reserved community center or at Indian Friendship Center way back in the 70s and 80s. And what struck me that was really different this time when I was teaching power dance was the amount of foster parents that attended the powwow dance evening with their foster children and all of the questions they had they they wanted they were doing everything in their best way to link the children to culture and oftentimes and then that was one situation and then I was at Prince Charles School so that's what brought me to Edmonton is I was at Prince Charles School which is the an amazing school with the uh, Awasa's program looking at um, Aboriginal focus with the, although it's the same provincial curriculum, they take uh, an, an Indigenous approach to to their curriculum outcomes. And I there was a powwow at the end of the school year and I asked about 10 children, um, who are you, which is a standard in culture question. And when asked that question, uh, one usually would say, this is the reserve I'm from, this is my nation or tribal nation background, this is the family. It, it's, it's an in-culture question and there's an in-culture response. And so many of the children I had met, and this is a K to six school, so many of the children had said, I'm native or I'm Aboriginal. Which, um, I might go into chapter four with, with this as a precursor is, um, I never introduce myself as Aboriginal or Native. I always say I'm Nishnabe, um, I'm First Nations, uh, but I generally say I'm Nishnabe. that's my nationhood. And so um, maybe what I'll do is I'll go right into the next reading. Okay, so- um, That sounds right. Pardon? I just said that sounds good. Okay, oh, okay. Um, so just my background before I read is um, I, I taught for the past eight years, well, previous to this year with the Faculty of Ed at the University of Alberta, I taught pre-service teachers. And so um, my work is generally in education. So I opened chapter four, which is titled Powwows from Coast to Coast. I, I wrote, when I was thinking of this chapter, I was really thinking, people actually think there's just one Aboriginal person, one language, one people. And I, I, I didn't know people think that way. Um, I've been very uh, privileged or very uh, fortunate that um, I was raised in Anishinaabe 
Ojibwe Odawa, um, and I know my other peers, I know I, I have relatives to the uh, west of me who are Miccosukee, uh, Nakoda, Dakota, uh, Higatsa, Rikara, many different tribes. And then I know people north of me who are Cree, to the south of me who are Haudenosaunee, to the east of me who are Algonquin, Huron, Mi'kmaq. So anyway, I'll just start reading. When I teach people who are going to become teachers, I start by asking where each student is from. They usually say they are Canadians. When we dig deeper, they might say their country of origin is, for example, France, Italy, Greece, Poland, Ukraine, India, or China. I point out to them that no one identifies themselves or simply as European or Asian. They identify their specific country. Similarly, when you ask an Indigenous person about their identity, they generally say they're Anishinaabe, like me, or from another tribal nation. And there are so many. For example, here in Alberta, there are 46 First Nations, as well as Métis people. In British Columbia, there are 198 distinct First Nations and more than 30 First Indigenous languages. The same is true for other provinces in Canada and the United States. There are hundreds of tribal nations in North America. All have their own unique traditions and history, but they all have one thing in common. And today, most, though not all, have powwow culture in their communities. My family has danced in powwows from one end of the continent to the other, from Nova Scotia to British Columbia in Canada and from Florida to California and Washington to the United States. In this chapter, we'll look at powwows in different regions of North America. And so in that chapter, what I did is I did a regional breakdown and looked at um, the Eastern Canada. I looked at the Northern Plains. I looked at the Southwest and all the different territories. And I explained some of the variances and the differences that exist. For example, um, and I had some issues, uh, the Haudenosaunee dance, which is the smoke dance, it's a very specific that only the Haudenosaunee people do. They have specific songs, different types of drums. So I, I write in detail in that and I have some pictures and it's a very different style than um, because in chapter three, I explained the, the, I don't know how, maybe the, the standard powwow categories. No matter where you go in North America, there's a standard which is traditional fancy jingle grass and there might be some chicken dancers but you would never see smoke dancers in in washington state you might see it in as, as a special event but not as a regular category the same with um i talk about the crow dancers who are the crow nation people from montana they have their own unique style of dance and it's only by the crow people at the Crow, uh, the Crow Agency, Montana. And so I, I go into, and still, I, the, the book is 84 pages long. Um, I, I touch on those briefly. So there's no way that um, you get a full, but I, I just do an, an introduction of all the differences. It feels like, you know, it's, uh, the, the question that I was gonna ask before was about the challenges that you faced 
in in writing the book. And I think you've just finished, you've kind of described one of the challenges, which is um, in sort of the, the fact that you're, you're trying to write a book about something that doesn't have, uh, there's not one type of to it. There's not one type of powwow. There's not one type of indigenous person. There's not one type of, you know, um, custom or dance or song that it, so you're you're trying to describe something in a way that fits into an 84 100 page book um but you also need to you you also need to kind of without generalizing you still need to to get people caught up on the differences you know, that and, exist and just so that you know it's 84 pages but there must be i haven't counted but i think there must be 150 175 photos i i, I don't know there is an amazing amount of um i i sometimes think doing the photos took almost as much writing as the as the writing because um as you know when we do a book there's the ethics or the protocols like um, getting permission from the photographer but what i wanted to do is every photograph that i have I wanted to know that dancer. I wanted to know that they live the life of Mino Bimetsuen. They live the good life, which is a philosophy. Uh, that's an Ojibwe word, but most nations have their own word. And so um, I know all the dancers in here and I personally went to each one of them and acknowledged them and asked their permission because since the Edward Curtis or Curtis Edward um, when he did those almost, uh, and it's controversial, the photos that he did, he didn't ask permission. He took all those photos and then he made a ton of money by doing that. And so I asked the permission of each of these dancers and I'm, I'm making sure that each of those dancers get a copy of this book too, so that, um, and they're aware. So this wasn't done um, behind their backs and whatever. I wanted to make sure, um, I want to read this quote. I didn't, I didn't um, one of my challenges is, um, so I'm in the middle of completing a, my doctorate, my PhD in education. I took three years, I took three years to do this. And yes, true, for those of you that have been following, it took me away from completing my doctorate, but in one sense, it was related to my doctorate work because I'm looking at the Inadwin, I'm looking at the brilliance of who, who we are as indigenous people. And so um, I'm going to read something from one of my powwow sons, Eli Snow. Uh, he's a traditional dancer, and I think this is on page 41. He says, we have a beautiful life. We have songs for when we are celebrating. We have songs when we are happy, when we are sad. We have songs for mourning, for births. We have songs for everything. And it's very true. That was one of my greatest lessons when I lived in Alberta. And I have a song story I talk about was... Um, songs are not merely vocables there's specific um principles to all the songs and when they're created and so i want to include that quote there it's um 9 30. let's see so how's our time running 
I think we're doing pretty good. I think uh, I think we're doing pretty good. We can set you up for the for your uh, for your third piece. I was just going to ask about the photographs right before we we moved on. But do you have a do you have a favorite photograph? Is that is that something that's fair to ask? Oh, I I was asked this before, and then I I felt awkward, and then about an hour later, I said I should have said this. But anyway. What I really focused on in doing this, I, I, oh, I know what I was going to say earlier is my challenge. Um, when I worked with the copy editor, one of the issues was um, I had so many citations in here. And so the one I just read by Eli Snow, I wanted to make sure I include that. But um, the academic puts in citations and then who, who said that. And so it took a lot of work. and. I thought of my own children when I was writing this book and my youngest, one of my younger grandchildren is, um, he's nine years old. And of course, I'm going to say this, I'm grandma and mama. And so I'm going to say he's brilliant. Um, I took them swimming yesterday. And then of course, grandma takes them for ice cream. And as we're driving for ice cream, he says, oh, he was teasing me and making a joke. And then he says, we have to choke all the time because that's the only way we're going to survive all of this. And he was just talking about the current situation that we're in right now. And so, you know, the atrocities that happen as a result of colonialism and my first chapter, um, Origins of Powell, of how it came, I right away I talk about colonization, the Indian Act and the past system. Um, you know, in the new curriculum, they talk about genocide or they talk about what happened in Rwanda, they talk about Holocaust. And more recently in some provinces, the curriculum talks about what residential school did to Canada's indigenous people. It was very horrendous. And just as my grandson says, we have to joke. Um, what we did, no matter how challenging our lives were as uh, Anishinaabek, as Indigenous people, we remembered our songs and we kept dancing. And we hung on to what joy that we have, no matter how impoverished, how oppressive our life came, how much we were in poverty, we sang and we danced. And you, you find that with a lot of um, people that have faced oppression, whether we're talking about black culture or um, any other indigenous people of the globe, we have to remember our songs and the dances that keep our spirits grounded, keep them guiding us and nurturing us. And so, um, yeah. So do we go into one more story or into yeah. questioning? Or... Why don't we, why don't we, you, you can read your third, your third piece there. Do you want to tell us, uh, do you want to set it up a little bit? Okay. Um, I'm just going to, I think I've set it up by speaking, but I'll, I'm going to go. Okay. The first power that took, this is off of page 10. The first power that took place on my home reserve with Kwame in 1960. Actually this year we were celebrating our, 60th annual powwow. It was going to be a big year for us, but as you know, everything got closed and canceled. So uh, powwow culture was quite new to Indigenous communities back then because 
Until 1951, it was illegal for Indigenous people in Canada to practice their culture and ceremonies, which included dance. As well, because my parents had attended Indian residential schools where they were always shamed for their Indigenous identity, there wasn't much Indigenous culture or tradition in my home. And I say that because time and time again, I meet many people that say, well, I don't know my culture. I, I, I either was apprehended as a 60s scoop or I grew in the city. So my positioning is um, we make our offerings, we make our prayers, and our, our culture is alive in our DNA. It's in our blood memory, and it's in, our, it's in the land, it's in the people. And so it, it went. So for me, I, I wrote, I said, as a young child, before I went to Powell's, my only understanding of what Indian meant was from those Hollywood cowboy and Indian shows on TV. Every culture has ways of marking important events like births, deaths, marriages, changes of season. Indigenous people celebrated these occasions with specific songs and dances, at least they did until cultural practices were made illegal. And then I am going to close with that. Um, I, I want to take a few moments here. We can, if there's Q and A, I, I don't know. We, it's hard to know if you have an audience. It, it's extreme. It's extremely hard to kind of figure out uh, who's out there, but I know people will be able to see this uh, after tonight and, and, uh, and share it. And I will say, so if, if people do have questions, they could type them in the chat and I will, uh, I will keep my eye on that. Um, but the one thing I can ask you, I mean, you've kind of, you've kind of did the, the, you've made my job super easy because you've kind of already answered all of the things that I would have asked before I asked them. But are there, are there other takeaways that you want people uh, to, to get from this book that we haven't discussed? My other takeaway, um, you know, a, a common question that I get asked, uh, the first time I heard it was, I used to um, host a New Year's Eve powwow here on Manitoulin Island, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Uh, when I lived out west, it was a common practice to have a Christmas Day powwow or a New Year's Eve powwow. And so when I came back home to Manitoulin Island, um, there wasn't anything planned New Year's Eve. So um, I organized it, put the, got the drum together and I got all of the agencies and some businesses to donate some funds. All of the community got together, uh, putting the drinks, the food for the feast at the end of the night. And then uh, I took an ad out in the local newspaper, which is the town paper here on Manitoulin Island. And I said, join us, we're having New Year's Eve. And I couldn't get over the amount of non-Indigenous people that said, can I go? And I'm like, there's an ad in the public paper. I, 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 I didn't understand. And even though I teach at a university and I've traveled, I, before moving to Alberta, I lived on my reserve for the, almost the past 20 years. And I mostly go to cultural events, but I was thinking if there's an ad in a public newspaper, that means it's open. And I, and I do talk about that at the end of the book. I said, um, you know, I, I quickly said, if you want to go, you can drop in for an hour. 
or you can go for the whole weekend, put up your tent or get a check-in to your local hotel. I mean, none of this is, who's to say, you know, I wrote this before our COVID situation. So I'm, I'm talking like as if we're going back to normal next, next summer, because this summer there are no powwows anywhere. Well, well, that was my next, my, yeah. Sorry. No, no, sorry to interrupt. I, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing physical. And I guess that was my next question is, do you, I, I think we obviously can all see what is missing when we, when we try to do these things online. Um, but do you, do you have, do you have any other ideas for the future of what these kinds of gatherings look like now that they're, you know, I mean, it may be in a couple of years when there's a vaccine and things like that, people, things are back to normal, but do you have any ideas about how things could look differently? What adjustments can be made specifically, I mean, uh, for powwows or are they just like any you other know, outdoor? A couple of things happened. Um, currently there is something, there is a social distance, uh, social media and, and, I haven't kept up with it, but there has been a social media powwow. But um, I was at Lake of the Woods in Kenora recently. When on my, I drove from Calgary to Manitoulin, and and took because we're all practicing safe social distancing. I took a little longer than usual because I was being so proactive and cautious. But I ended up spending. Um, I think 11 or 12 days at Lake of the Woods and uh, the singers got together on, on the lawn of their cultural center and about a half a dozen of us jingle dress, Shibigashigan dancers, jingle dress dancers, we danced and um, we went to take a group photo and everybody was saying, well, don't forget social distancing. And uh, one of the elders said, uh, oh, we're in our healing dresses and we'll be okay. And you know, I was tested as soon as I arrived on Manitoulin and I was okay. Um, so there's, that happened. So it wasn't a powwow. It was a dance. And, and just to know, powwow is a very contemporary term. Um, in Nishnabe, when we just say the big dance. And so uh, the drum got together. There was no grand entry. There was, they did the... Um, the protocol songs and then we danced six seven songs and then the drum closed up we changed and then we went home and so that's one thing and then uh i was looking at social media and then one of the reserves in out west in saskatchewan they had a grand entry coming in in front of the nursing home the, the seniors home and i thought wow that is so cool so all the dancers were social distance between each other I couldn't tell if it was um, uh, CD music or, or a drum playing, but um, yeah, that was, so who's, <clears throat> there'll be all kinds of ways. We're very creative. Um, and I don't want to forget this part. Um, the book is called Pow Wow, A Celebration Through Song and Dance. Um, where can people get it? They can get it at local bookstores now. It's Orca Books that is the publisher, right. is that correct? I do know in, in Edmonton specifically, it's at Audrey's Books. Um, and I know that you can order it directly from Orca. 
Um, I'm, I'm at, we have a farmer's market here Saturday morning, so I don't know if I have any local folks listening, but I'm at the farmer's market on Saturday mornings. And in September, I, I have bookings with McNally Robinson's in Winnipeg and, and Saskatoon. Um, just keep it, attention to my, I have a public Facebook, it'll be announced. Perfect. Well, fingers, I mean, fingers crossed for the September events. Do you have any, are there any other, um, have you done any other live readings or live interview or, or these kind of video chat interview things? I have done a couple and I, 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 I do them by the seat of my pants. All of us are working by the seat of our pants. So I've been really, really grateful that they've happened. Um, I'm really grateful that the reception by people, um, the marketing that Orca's done and the work um, Calgary Library is doing, we're doing something in, in a couple of weeks too um, with uh, Cheryl Faga. She will be doing the interview. Okay. Yeah, so that's coming up. And you were talking earlier about your, your doctorate. So is that what, is that what else, that's what you're working on now is your, is your doctorate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I am. I am need to I and I can fully appreciate it. You know, I said I was gonna be done tomorrow, so these days I'm saying the day after tomorrow it'll be done. <laughs> that sounds good. I'm well, I'm, um, I'm so grateful. Oh, I, I have a lot of people supporting me and I would never be able to do, complete my doctorate without the many people that have been holding my hand because it's a lot of work and uh, I would not be able to do it without the support that I've had. And uh, we just had a, a Carol Holmes, our, our executive director has, has written in the chat. She just wanted to say, this is wonderful work, Karen, and a great sharing of words. Thank you. So she just wrote that Hi, in the Carol. chat. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just wanted to say it was very lovely to meet you uh, for the first time today and to, and to chat with you today. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Grayson. Thank you that you, you took care of both of us. And yeah, that was good for stepping in. Thank you. You're great. And um, I, I just want to thank everybody for watching. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if there were, if there were technical things here and there. Um, we, we gave it a, we gave it a shot. We also, oh, Barb Howard in the chat. She yeah. says, thanks, Hi, Karen Barb. and Jason and the WGA. This is great. So, okay. um, the last thing, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, thank you once again for your, for your patience with all the tech stuff to uh, Karen, but it was, uh, it was very great talking to you today and best of luck with the thank book. You. And um, thank yeah, you. so thank thanks you. very much. And from, okay, take care.